going to look at some selected Bible verses on what on earth is going on. And when I refer to that, I refer to the present circumstances we're in. If you have any gray hairs on your head and have lived just slightly long enough, you're looking around yourself saying, what has happened? What has happened to our country? What is going on in this world? As you consider the presidential race, for example, never in the history that I can remember going back to even um, the Kennedy administration has anything ever looked like this or sounded like this. Um, our schools, our public school systems are on the verge of allowing uh, immorality to happen within them. What, what on earth is going on? And when, when we ask this question, we ask it from sincere hearts, I'm, I'm sure I believe, but God has already told us what's going on. Now, I started uh, by mentioning uh, I'm going to parallel for a little bit a book by uh, Dr. Reynolds Showers. Dr. Showers, uh, uh, just a, a wonderful, great man of God. He has written many books, many of the books I, I treasure and cherish. Uh, but one of the books that I recently started looking at once again was uh, his book entitled, What on Earth is God Doing? And it's called Satan's Conflict with God. And so as I was thinking through that and looking through that, I, I decided, well, why don't we look at this a little bit so that we understand completely what's going on uh, in the day in which we live. You and I have been warned by God of these very times. We should not shake our head. We should not look in disbelief. But we have been warned in the latter times, the scriptures tell us. In the latter times. Now, God talks about the world in the latter days. What will the world be like in the latter days? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, greedy, blasphemers, and he goes on and on. And this is all in the latter days, the days in which we live. And then... He, he, he sort of shifts into the Second Timothy mode where he says that's externally unbelieving, unregenerated people will get worse and worse. But not only that, in the church, in the church, things will change dra drastically. And he said that some will be swayed, turned away from the faith to doctrines of demons. And that's the day in which we live. That uh, much of the church now is involved with false theology, and it's not based upon scriptural principles at all. It's not based upon the Bible. Now, I'm not saying we're the only ones. There's some great churches around that we really appreciate and are thankful for. But recognize this, that for the most part, God has warned us that doctrines of demons would be around us. And so when we're asking what on earth is going on, we have to go back to the scriptures to understand what's going on. Human philosophy could not, could not possibly conceive of these things. This all, everything that's going on, is uh, demonic in nature using corrupted men. And so as we look at this, I'd like us to, we're going to parallel his book a little bit, but we're going to get away from his book and get into a lot of, uh, lot greater detail, perhaps, than Dr. Showers did. Uh, I, di I said I did not know if Dr. Showers' book was available. In fact, a couple of people uh, very nicely uh, let me know that it is available. It is being reprinted. 
and uh, you can get it on Amazon. And the title of the book on, is What on Earth is Going On by Dr. Reynolds E. Schaub. I'm sorry, <laughs> What on Earth is God Doing by Dr. Reynolds Showers. And uh, it's the subtitle is Satan's Conflict uh, with God. And so we began last week just to recognize, now you know this, you're here tonight to hear from God, I'm sure about that, hear from God's word, but you know that God is omnipresent, God is everywhere. There's no place that God is not. Everything is open and naked to, to him and whom we have to do, the scriptures tell us. He's everywhere present. He is omnipotent, he's unlimited power, with him nothing shall be impossible. And then we looked a little bit last, the last time we were together, and we said that he's omniscient. That is, he knows everything. Not only does he know everything, he declares the end of something before it begins. He knows the end from the beginning, the scriptures tell us. And we read in the scriptures that God was the creator of everything. Without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was created by him, including angelic beings, including Satan himself was created by the living God. <clears throat> We're told about our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead. He was the creator. He was the creator. All three of the triune Godhead were involved in creation, but Christ himself was the spokesman for God. He is the word of God. He spoke everything into existence. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Now, at the beginning of the creation, he apparently created angels first. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's one obscure verse, yet it's very prevalent in the scriptures, uh, in Job chapter 38, that the sons of God, uh, they, they sang together for joy at the creation of the universe. So apparently, angels were created first, and then the rest of creation, then the rest of what we know to be around us, the existence of everything around about us. He created these spirit beings. They're called his servants. He created them to serve him. And you can find that in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews if you're interested. When he created them, he created them very, very unique in that they possess intellect. They, they, they have wisdom. They can communicate verbally. And they possess a will or a choice. So not unlike man, they have intellect, emotion, and will. They can decide what they want to do. And God gave them that choice so that they would worship him according to their, according to their own perfect delight and not as some kind of robot. I'm so interested today in robots, aren't you? What's happening in the world today, whether it's all true or not, I do not know, but we'll watch a commercial on TV and a robot will walk up to someone and have an intellectual conversation. I saw something today where in a home, uh, you can have this, uh, this system in your home. And I don't know how it works. I don't even understand how my phone works. So, But you can tell this thing uh, to turn on the sprinkles. It'll fire them up. Tell them to look up this song. It'll look up this song and play it for you. Amazing, amazing technology today. But God did not create angels to be robots. He created them as living beings that have intellect, emotion, and will. Uh, angels are very powerful, the scriptures tell us, as created beings. You recall Michael had a showdown with Satan himself. And uh, the archangel Michael said to Satan, 
the Lord rebuke you. And uh, the writer goes on to tell us in 2 Peter that, um, that uh, there's men out there that will say things about angelic beings. It, and Peter says they have no clue about what they're talking about. They don't have a clue. They're foolish men who think they can say whatever they want about demons. And even Michael, the archangel, who was mighty and powerful, dared not bring a right railing accusa accusation against Satan, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you. So these are powerful beings. Yet, remember, we, I mentioned last week, and I do not want to, um, to frighten us in any way, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we need not fear Satan. But there needs to be a healthy respect. We need not fear him. But there needs to be a healthy respect, lest we be duped as Eve was in the Garden of Eden. We also recognize that certain angels were made superior in intellect. There is an army of angels. There's thrones, principalities, powers, and we don't know how that all fleshes out. There are uh, seraphim, there are cherubim, there are, uh, seems to be uh, the, the, an army-type status, so they're not named so. There's, there's privates and uh, lieutenants and generals and, lieutenant, and all this business. Of, of an army, it appears. We do not know uh, a lot about that. But we know that God has given them um, certain amounts of powers. They were created for the heavens, and yet they seem to be able to come to earth and dwell on earth, which we'll look at in just a moment if we can. But what are the numbers of angels? Well, uh, we do not know that. The scriptures call it an innumerable company of angels. We read about uh, thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands plus thousands. How, how many is that? Well, you, it's not a number we can comprehend. A myriad, a million. Uh, in our language, we would probably say a zillion angels. One of the highest of all these angels was the angel that we know to be called Satan, Lucifer, the dragon. He was apparently one of the chief angels created by God. Now, here's where we want to pick it up for a few minutes. And though we're not going to look at demonology necessarily, necessarily through this whole thing, it, it's important that we see what's going on so we'll know what's going on today. So please turn with me to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> Ezekiel gives us one of the pictures concerning demonic powers in Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 28. <clears throat> now, when God talks to these demons, uh, when God mentions demons or angels or Satan himself, we see that God is speaking to a, an entity, a person. And yet, as he speaks to this person, in this case, it would be the king of Tyre, he's not speaking necessarily to the person himself, but the being behind the person the being that is actually controlling this, this king of war, the king of Tyre. Now, how do we know that? Well, let me give you a picture of this, if we can. Look at verse 11 of uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is Ezekiel, of course, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, so is God talking to the king of Tyre? Well, the answer of that is yes, he is. 
But not only is he speaking directly to the king of Tyre, where you have this coming and going here. Not only is he speaking to the king of Tyre, but he's speaking to the entity behind Tyre. Notice what he says. Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So could he be talking about the king of Tyre? Uh, uh, Sir, you are a beautiful man. Well, he could be. He could because maybe the king of Tyre was beautiful. I do not know that. However, however, as we investigate further, we recognize that he's talking not only to the king of Tyre, but to something behind this. He says, Thou sealest up the sum of full, full of wisdom and of perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. You see, he goes from the present to the past. And who was in Eden? Well, we'll continue on to see. The very garden of God. Was it the king of Tyre? Not hardly. There's something behind this king of Tyre. Tyre. Notice, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, for example, all the way down. He says, uh, you, were, uh, you were prepared, all these things were prepared in thee, the end of verse 13, in the day you were created. You are the anointed cherub, a cherubim, one of the honor God of God. You'll often see cherubim mentioned in the scriptures, and they uh, seem to be God's honor God. For example, when the Shekinah glory was lifted out of the temple, Ezekiel tells us, the, the cherubim came and lifted the Shekinah glory of God out of the temple, went uh, through the eastern gate, went up onto the Mount of Olives, and ascended up into glory. The, the very uh, honor God of God, this cherubim. Notice he says in verse 15, uh, verse 14, You are the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. You are upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. See, something, something was found in you. But when you were created, you were created perfect. Was the king of Tyre perfect? The answer is no. He was a man with a fallen nature. But see, this, this angel was created perfect, this being behind this man. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in thee. But the multitude of thy merchandise have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee uh, as profane out of the mountains of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now here's verse 17, gives us a hint. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou art corrupted. Thy wisdom by reason of brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. What happened to him? He was lifted up with pride because of his beauty. Now we will not go there, but the book of Isaiah seems to point to the same person. Although God is speaking to the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14, it seems like he, the indication is behind the king of Babylon was this man who said, I will be like the most high God. This is Satan. Now, in case you question how this all works, I want you to turn with me quickly to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. In case you wonder what's going on concerning the nations, this is what will happen in the last part of the last days that we know to be the great tribulation period. 
I want you to notice what happens. This is a parenthetical of Armageddon, what's going to happen in Armageddon when the time comes. But we're in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. And the scriptures tell us, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Now, we'll look a little further. We're going to find out the dragon is none other than Satan himself. And you're going to see an awful lot of symbolism here, like, they look like, they sound like, it, it seems like. So this is uh, John, the writer of the book of the Revelations, just trying to describe what these beings look like. He said this, they look like frogs, but they came out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan himself. And, and notice, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, this is the, what we would know to be the clone uh, of the dragon and the clone of the Antichrist, the false prophet. He says, uh, for they are the spirits of devils or demons working miracles that go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Do you see the demon influence leaves Satan himself and they go out unto the kings of the earth and they persuade the kings of the earth to go to war. Can I suggest that's exactly what's going on today? Persuasion of the kings of the earth. Not to Armageddon, that doesn't happen till the last half of the Great Tribulation period. But that process where demons are influencing men to do certain things, to do certain acts, and it's mostly of evil, obviously, but to do certain acts, that is going on in our present day. It will go on in the future, and it has gone on in the past as God speaks about the king of Tyre. Another place, if you would, is turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 10, for a moment. The book of Daniel. I just want to show you just a brief glimpse, glimpse and we'll be looking at these things a little bit further later on. Daniel, chapter 10. This is uh, God pulls back the clouds, if you would, of, of the heavens, and he lets us know what's going on in the invisible world, the world that we cannot see with our eyes, even with our spiritual eyes, so we can comprehend the scriptures and we read about these things, we cannot see the process going on before us except when it manifests itself through men. Well, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, you recall, saw a great vision from God. And Daniel is perplexed about this and he does not understand it completely. He cannot completely comprehend it. So he goes to prayer and he's, he's been praying for three full weeks in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 2. And he's fasting and praying. He, ate, he did not eat uh, any flesh or wine or, or bread. He's he, he just fasting before the Lord. And as he's praying, an angel shows up. This is 21 days later. An angel shows up, a, a good angel, what we would know to be an elect angel, one of God's holy angels. He shows up. And he... he he addresses Daniel, and you can see all that process. And he says, notice in verse 12, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Twenty-one days later, the angel said, From the first day you prayed, God heard, and God sent me. But something happened along the way. What happened? But... The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Imagine that. Now, who was the prince of Persia? He was a man. There was a Persian king. 
But is this a physical, literal king that stopped an angelic being from answering David's prayer? No, no, no. This was the entity behind the prince of Persia who was a fallen angel or a demon. And he stopped one of God's elect angels from going to answer the call. So what happened? God said, Michael, and God sent Michael. I love Michael. When we read about Michael, it's incredible. He is God's. He's, uh, God calls him the, the angel of Israel. He's the powerful angel of Israel. When the angel was in a cloud, that was probably Michael. So he sends Michael down to stop uh, this, this prince of the kingdom of Persia, and Michael came and helped him. Michael was one of the chief priests. We know Michael to be an archangel in verse, uh, in verse uh, 13. Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And so we continue on, and you can see there's also another uh, angel mentioned. Look at verse 20. Then said he, Knowest thou why I am come to thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. So the indication is there's entities behind the powers that be, behind these demonic beings, behind these, these men were these, these demonic beings, these powers. And there's several instances of that in the scriptures. We, we, we will not go over it. Now, how did all these angels fall? Well, we know Satan apparently was lifted up with pride, and he fell into the condemnation of the devil. I'm sorry. <laughs> Satan was lifted up with pride, and therefore he fell under God's judgment. But God warns man about that. He warns us about pride. And pride really is a dastardly thing in the Word of God. God hates a proud law. Isn't that amazing? He says that, does he not? Is that not in the Scriptures? Am I mistaken here? hates it. He doesn't only dislike it. It only doesn't disprove. He doesn't only disapprove of it. He hates a proud look. Now, turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul warns Timothy about this. It's kind of an interesting term in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and that he warns Timothy about when Timothy selects elders for a church. Tim it was Timothy's job to make sure that he saw over the process of selecting elders, good elders. Timothy had elders, and some of them weren't so good. Um, and that's why Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus, and that's why he wrote the letter to Timothy. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, look with me, please, at um, verse 6. He's talking about when you, when you take a man on as an elder. He says, not a novice, not a young believer. He's not to be a novice lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, that's, the, that's what the devil fell from, his pride. And a young man, a novice, who would be placed in the office of, a, of, a, uh, of an elder in the church could fall into that same condemnation because he could end up lifted up with pride. Look at me, I'm an elder at this church. I'm really something special. No, no, this man has to learn who and what he is in Christ before you put him in the position of an elder. So Satan's fall was pride. Now turn with me to the book of the Revelation in chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Again, we're not studying demonology. I just want you to get the background of this. It's very important for us to see. Revelation chapter 12, actually. It's very important for us to see how all this demonic powers took place. Remember, there are zillions of angels. 
And there was one particular angel who sealed up the sum of full beauty, and that was Satan himself, an anointed cherub. And then when he was lifted up in pride, he fell, God said. It was sin. He made the choice that he was going to be like God. I shall be like the Most High God, he said. Now, in that process, and all this happened immediately, immediately after the creation of all things. Remember when God said after he had created all things in six days, he looked at all that he had created and said it was not just good, it was very good. So the angels fell just after the six-day creation, Satan fell. And as he fell, he approached part of the created beings. How many? Zillions. He approached them, and in the process of that, apparently, he persuaded one-third of those angelic beings to join him in rebellion against the Most High God. How many? Well, one-third of a zillion is a quazillion, a trizillion. So this, this many, many angels, Satan convinces to join his side. Notice, if you would, please, starting in verse, uh, we'll pick up verse 3. Now, uh, recognize the picturesque language here. God is speaking about the nation of Israel. And we could study this out, and I could show you very plainly, but we won't take time to do this. God is talking about the nation of Israel. But he, then he, he, he shifts gears a little bit, and he says, there's someone trying to stop Messiah from coming. There's someone going to try and hamper to stop the coming of Messiah himself. And we see that in verses 1 and 2, that there's a woman. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, verse 1. A woman clothed with the sun and moon under her feet and the twelve, uh, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. This had to do with the twelve sons of Jacob and it has to do with uh, the coming of the nation of Israel. And what was she? She was with child travailing to, uh, in birth and pain to be delivered. So this is the nation of Israel looking for their Messiah. Verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon, having seven horns and seven heads rather than ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. We could look at this, and this goes all the way back to the book of Daniel, by the way. Daniel's talking about the great prophecy that is to come, but we will not go to that. How do we know this great red dragon is the devil? Well, skip down to verse 7. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was there any place found any more in heaven. And the great red dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, in case you're wondering, John says. So he's named very, very plainly there. Now what did this great red dragon do? Verse 3, 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we know the attack upon, of course, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ when, when Herod sent in um, the troops to kill him right in Bethlehem. But what I'm interested in here is his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, or literally the sons of heaven, or literally angelic beings. He drew one-third after him. And from then on, those... Fallen angels are called Satan's children, or Satan's armies, or Satan's demon. Remember, Satan cannot produce children. 
He's an angel. Angel cannot be married nor given in marriage. They cannot produce children. But from then on, Satan is called the father of fallen angels. And he's called the father, in John chapter 8, of all those who follow him, his seed. Fallen individuals are called his seed. Now, following that through, uh, uh, following that, now we have Satan, a created being. Remember, he is a created being. Also remember, he is a defeated foe. There's no temptation taken us, but such is common to man. Satan attacks you and I. He's, according to the book of uh, Peter, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's always after Christians. I don't think he deals as much with the unsaved as he does with Christians. Why the unsaved are already on the path he chooses for them. But he's after Christians. And we're going to see in the great tribulation period, those poor people, not, they haven't seen anything yet. So there are zillions of angels, and among the zillions, one-third of them are demonic. And it's so interesting to, to see this and to, to learn about this. I am so thankful God tells us that not all the demons that exist are upon the earth. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? They're not all on the earth. Why? Because there's, there's one-third of a zillion of them. And God has only allowed only but a few, apparently. When I say a few, there could be uh, several billion. But apparently, he's only allowed a few of all the zillions to work on earth today. Now, you say, well, Pastor Bill, how do you come up with that? Well, let's look at a couple things, if we could, please. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And this will be part of our study, and it will be important for us, but I want you to turn back to Genesis, and I'm interested in um, Genesis chapter 6. Now, I do not want to teach this as if I know everything, because I don't, but I want to show you and lay out a patent for you to see something that's a controversial at best, okay? I will give you my opinion. You can have your opinion if you'd like. And in heaven, you'll see that I am right. But uh, <laughs> while we're here on earth, uh, you'll just have to search it out for yourself. This is just before the great Noah's flood, where God would destroy the whole world and everything in it, except for those whom he sovereignly saved, Noah and his family, and two of every kind except for the sacrificial animals. There were more than the two. But God opens a curtain, if you would, of what's going on. Now remember, Cain killed Abel. So what we have of the sons is Cain, and God seemed to replace Abel with a godly man named Seth, a godly seed. And as that seed grew, the seed of Seth, all the way through, and you can see that Noah was part of Seth's seed. As we go all the way through, we see that the whole business had become corrupted. The whole world had become totally corrupted. So corrupted, you and I cannot conceive of what was going on. The entire world was filled with violence, the scriptures tell us. The entire world. There was no peace at all. 
But we read, if you would please, picking it up in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 6. And I said, this is controversial, so just bear with me for a moment. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also, after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children, to whom the same became mighty men, who were of old, men of renown. This term, the sons of God. Remember, all the angels were created sons of God. The sons of God came unto the daughters of men. Now, there seems to be, there seems to be a correlation there that angels uh, possessed uh, the seed contrary to Seth, Cain's seed, if you would. They possessed the seed contrary to Seth, and those demons possessed, uh, possessing those men, used those men to impregnate the daughters of Seth, trying to corrupt the entire seed. See, if they were able to do that, there would not be a pure seed anymore. Now, that does not mean that they have the power to give birth, they, the power to implant seed, that men do that. Say, uh, demons can indwell. But the demons used men to corrupt the seed so that there would no longer be a pure seed of Seth. That was their purpose. They say, well, how, how do you put that together? Well, turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Jude for a moment, please. The book of Jude. Just keep that in mind for a moment. And again, there are people who disagree with me, and that's okay. I understand that. This is really tough to completely put together. But I want you to read something who, that might help us out a little bit. And we're talking about not, not all the demons that are on the earth... Uh, not all demons that exist are on the earth. A great many of them apparently are locked away. Pick it up if we could in Jude. Look at verse 5. I will therefore put thee in remembrance, Jude says, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of Egypt afterwards destroyed them that believed not. So Jude's referencing how God, uh, God judges wickedness. And then he says this, and the angels who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Notice, my King James Bible says, the angels who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Is it possible, is it possible that that's referencing back to Genesis chapter 6, where the angels now began the process of indwelling men who then impregnated the daughters of Seth for the purpose of corrupting the seed of Messiah. Well, hang on to that for a moment, please. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read this. <clears throat> Verse 4. I'm breaking into the context. You recognize that. I just want to pick up this thought. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, 
and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. The term hell here is Tartarus. We know it to be abystos, the abyss. God has sent not all, but many, many, if not most of the demon beings into a place that we know to be the great abyss. And they're locked in that place. One day, the cover's going to be taken off it. And that's in the great tribulation period. And all of these countless billions of angels will be released from the bottomless pit and they will attack the people of the earth. It's frightening to think about. And that will be in the great uh, tribulation period. Turn with me to the book of the Revelation in chapter 9, please. The book of the Revelation in chapter 9. Do I need fear of that? The answer is no. Do I need to respect that? The answer is yes. Do I need to be afraid? The answer is no. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I'm all set, you see. I need not fear that. Do I need to respect that? Oh, yes. But how do I respect it? I look around me and I see what's going on. Think about one of the greatest missionary countries of the world the United States of America. And look who's ruling the roost. Look who's ruling the world. Look who's in charge. Look who's making the laws. Look what kind of laws they're making. Listen to what they're saying. Watch what's going on. Is it for righteousness and holiness? There's not a leading secular university in our country that believes in creation. There's not a leading secular university in our country. They all talk about evolution. They all, every single one of them, not only mock Christianity, but vehemently teach against it. Look what's going on. What on earth is going on? Just what God said. We're in the book of the Revelation. Look, please, at uh, Revelation chapter 9. This is in the great tribulation period. It's the last half of the tribulation period. It's the horrible trumpet judgments. Pick it up in verse, chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw an angel, uh, I saw a rather a star fall from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, Tartarus the obistos, the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the green grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. These aren't normal locusts. These aren't the large grasshopper thing. My wife and I were in Florida a couple weeks back now, and as we, were, we went into this nature preserve, and we were walking out, and Nancy said, look at that. There was a grasshopper, and he was about this big, and he was about this big around. A huge, massive, massive grasshopper. 
And that's about half the size of what a real locust is. An incredible thing. And, but is God talking about these, uh, these uh, insects? No, no. If you look at the typology here, you'll see they look like this. They sounded like this. They appeared like this. Uh, I get a kick out of one guy told me, those are Cobra helicopters. Ha! <laughs> Not hardly. The men of the earth, these demonic beings will strike men, and men will beg to, be di to die, and yet they will not be able to die. Let me tell you this. If a cobra helicopter strikes you, you are going to die. There's just no question about it. These demonic beings, these, these entities that are released from Tartarus, they're the ones that are reserved unto judgment. God has sealed them up. So not every demon that can walk the earth, in fact, walks the earth. But there are many that walk the earth. I won't have you turn there, but you could go to the book of Mark and all the uh, gospel accounts to see this, where, remember, uh, the Lord Jesus went to Gadara. It's on the far uh, western side of the uh, eastern side of the Galilee, Gadara, and they met him a demon there. And all the gospel accounts give similar uh, applications, where the demon ran up to the Lord Jesus and said, what have we to do, thou Lord Jesus? Are you here to torment us before the time? And Jesus, essentially, what's your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Mark is the only book that indicates there are at least 2,000 demons in one man. At least 2,000 in one man. Now, how many people were demon-possessed in that day? The Lord Jesus cast out demon after demon after demon after demon after demon. All throughout. So there are if not billions of angels, hundreds of millions of angels that are still walking the earth today. And what are they after? They're after uh, the, the, the people of God, the kingdom of God, and they're trying to thwart his work on earth. And so when we look around us today and say, what is going on? We're going to see right from the beginning, what did Satan attack? Right from the start, right out of the gate, what did he attack? He, taught, he attacked God's crown and glory, man, who was created in the image and likeness of God for God's glory. Right from the start, he attacks man. And that's what we'll pick it up next time we're together. And we're going to run through the scenario and see throughout the whole Old Testament where Satan attacks, 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 and his whole purpose is to thwart God's work here on earth. And so as we look around us today, What's going on? Well, Paul told the church at Ephesus, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Whoever gets in our White House, whoever gets to rule our state, whoever gets to rule our country, our nation, will be similar in their process. God says... Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Could there be a Christian in the White House? God could do it. With, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Will there be a Christian in the White House? It doesn't look good, does it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, as we consider these things, we know they're difficult. And Father, we can put stamps on everything, we can call people names, we can, 
we can say brutal things and we're just like the people in Jude's day in that we know not of what we speak. Only you, Father, can work. It's for our edification we stand back and we observe. We recognize that doctrines of demons will come. And Father, we realize that demonic power aims to keep people away from you, to keep people from hearing your word, to keep us from spreading the word of God, to ruin our testimony, to take from us that which we are supposed to do by the spirit of God. Father, help us to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. Help us, Father, to rely upon the Spirit of God, the power of God. Cause us, Father, to realize that the battles we fight are not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, demonic presence. Father, we look to worship the King, and as we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, give us discernment on how we're to handle our lives, how we're to meet together for spiritual strength, for, for spiritual wisdom, that we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We've seen so many Christians fall aside because of believing false theology that to them sounds good because they've been convinced by demonic representatives. Father, help us to be, stand strong in the word of God. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.